All right, so I'm going to read the scripture we're going to be in tonight. Um, we're going to be in Romans 10, 9 through 15. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Thank you, Ella. Appreciate that. How we doing, y'all? Pretty good, yeah. So good to see y'all. Hope you're having a great week so far. You guys making it this far in the semester? We'll be like four weeks into the semester at this point. We surviving? Are you like exhausted yet? Yes, no. (laughs) Jacob, you're not in college anymore. But you're a teacher, so you are in the semester. So (laughs) He's been in school for his whole life. So, man. Well, I'm with you. I'm also feeling a little bit tired, too. I stayed up way too late painting a nursery last night. So So Jude will have a painted room, all right? He will have a nice... And he he won't even know what... what, Yeah, for real. But maybe it'll soothe him in his his state. (laughs) It's a calming color. We're hoping for a, a good soothing child. Anyway, um, well, hey, I hope you guys are doing soothing, soothed child, not soothing. He won't soothe anybody for a while. Yeah, I will be doing lots of soothing, not, not being, not in the receiving end of being soothed. So there you go. There you go. Well, hey, uh, I hope you guys are doing well. Um, we are in week three of a six week series, uh, talking about a missional life. Um, and I've been really enjoying this series so far. It's been very challenging, very encouraging to me. Hope you guys feel the same. And tonight we are talking about a missional message or our missional message. Uh, but just kind of catch you up on, uh, to speed, whether you've been here uh, the past few weeks or not. Uh, really, we've been defining a missional life and what that means really is this. It's, it's to invite people to be a part of the universal reign of God in Christ, which is a huge idea. And so to kind of bring that down to gr- on the ground level, we've been kind of defining it as living as an everyday missionary, where you view your life you know, the same way a missionary would view their life in another country, um, the way they would view their relationships, the way they spend their day. There's a gospel, missional intentionality behind it. We've been kind of learning and growing in this way. And if you were with us last week, you remember... We looked at the story of the Bible and really how we could sum up the whole theme of the Bible as mission. And so we traced out the story of the Bible and how it constantly shows us God pursuing us, his mission to bring us back to himself. And then also we asked the question about about our stories. How are we allowing our own individual stories to fit into this big picture story of God? Are we trying to write our own story um, outside of the story of God? Are we trying to invite ourselves into that and really uniting our stories with God's story? Um, And this week, we're going to kind of continue this idea, but as we get going, I do want us to kind of come back to that idea of, you know, where are our life stories and your life story, how is that intersecting with the big picture story of God? Because we've got to come back to this every week as we talk about living on mission, because really living on mission means that you're living for what really matters in the end. Uh, Living a life on mission means that you're not living simply for things that are temporary, but you're living for things that are eternal, that are significant. Not that, you know, our mundane existence and day-to-day doesn't matter, but we all have to do everything, even the small things, in light of eternity. So we're kind of thinking about that. How are we living for what matters? Uh, A few weeks ago, I shared a quote with you 
um, from William Carey, a great missionary, uh, really one of the fathers of uh, modern missions. And his quote was this, and I really, this came back to me, it stuck with me. He said, I'm not afraid of failure. He says, I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. And that's, that's a great thing to think about because so many times in life it's easy to be pursuing things that, that are good things, but they're not ultimate things. And we let, you know, such small things sometimes, like did I make an A or B on that test, become these huge, you know, like life-altering occasions and occurrences when really, number one, you're probably going to be okay. You know, maybe it's a C or a D. Um, but you know, we're, we make a big deal of it, but in the end, we neglect things that have eternal significance. And so we got to ask this question tonight as we're beginning is, you know, are we living a life of eternal significance? As we talk about our missional message tonight, are we living in light of this? You know, because I don't want you to go to the end of your life and realize that uh, you maybe wasted it. I don't want you to get to the end of your life and realize that you have a lot of regret about the way you spent months and years and maybe even decades, things like that. And that's kind of one of the reasons we're doing this series is to kind of center ourselves again on what matters and in our mission in life. So here's tonight's question uh, and tonight's big topic is what is the gospel and how do I share it? So what is the gospel? How do I share it? And so what we're going to do for the first maybe 15 minutes of tonight, um, I just want to make a case for why the gospel is good news. Because that's literally what it means, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But why is the gospel really good news? And then the second half of tonight, I want to give you a a practical tool, uh, a tangible way to to share the gospel. Because here's the thing, don't think about tonight as just like a bunch of new information to take in or something like that. But think about tonight as a night of equipping, and as I talk about everything throughout the evening, be asking yourself, well, could, could I share that with somebody else? Could, could I tell them about this? Maybe not in Kyle's exact words, you know, because you're you and I'm me, but you know, the things that we're walking through, the gospel message, be thinking, okay, could I, could I tell this to my roommate? Could I explain this to that person in class? You know, because tonight wouldn't it be about equipping, not new information, because honestly, for 99% of y'all, this is not going to be new at all. You're going to have heard all of this before, and that's okay, but tonight, we want you to be equipped more to be able to share the gospel. So be asking the question, can I share this? All right, that's, that's the thing we're going to come back to over and over again. All right, so first off, let's talk about what is the gospel. What do we mean by that? So the word gospel has a lot of history. You can start with this. Think of the movie Gladiator. If you've ever seen Gladiator, maybe you hadn't seen a violent movie like that, you know, do what? Yeah, exactly. But you think about Roman times, right? The word gospel kind of originates in, in terms of New Testament in Roman era where you would have the, the, Rome, the Roman Empire. You know, they were fighting all these um, battles against their enemies kind of outside of their empire, expanding the area. And what would happen is this, that, you know, a army would go out and fight a battle somewhere outside of Rome to expand the empire. And once they would win the battle against their enemies, a messenger or a delegate would get sent back, you know, back home to the people to say, hey, listen, like, we just won this, this victory. We just won this battle you know, against our enemies. And so the Roman Empire still stands. The kingdom still stands. We're, you know, we're, we're good. There's been a victory. And that word is actually the, the message that was conveyed by that was called the gospel, the good news that the kingdom had won a victory again. And that was a gospel message that was brought back to the people. And so that word then, gospel got brought into the New Testament. And when we, read, when we read our Bibles, we see that word, and really it's the word euangelion, which is where we get evangelism, actually. But that's the word gospel, and really what it means is good news. So when we see Jesus saying in, in the gospels, you know, that repent and believe in the gospel, he's saying repent and believe in the good news. When we see the gospels, you may think gospel, think of like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're the good news, the stories of the good news of Jesus. 
You know, so there, there are descriptions in that way. And even the word gospel that we have in English actually has its roots in Old English uh, of like God's spell or really like God's story, not the musical, um, but, but God's story. <laughs> now you're thinking about the song, the gospel. Um, but it, about you know, God's story. So even the word gospel is kind of rooted in God's story. It's the story of the good news. And really, the gospel in itself is this thing. It's the story. It's the good news, the message that we all need and that we all want. Because the gospel is the good news that brings us what we really need. It brings us meaning. It brings us purpose. It brings us belonging. It brings us freedom from guilt and from shame. It answers all these questions and resonates with all these struggles and brokenness in our life. And that's why it's good news. And really, if you want to break it down, and this is not, if you notice, by the way, your outline's different tonight, and we'll get to that in a moment. There's a reason for it being different. Um, but really, the gospel kind of tells us four things. This is all peripheral to the circles in a minute, but it tells us four things. It tells us who we are. It tells us what's wrong with the world. It tells us where salvation is found. And it tells us what's our purpose and where we're going in the world, if you want to break it down that way. But if you think about the Christian gospel tells us those things, but also we got to realize there's lots of other false gospels in the world, right? Like the, the Christian gospel is not the only quote-unquote gospel in existence. So think about it. There's lots of different groups and people and societies, countries, more than that, that are communicating different meanings and purposes and really gospels about life. And they may call it good news, but it, it really might not be good news. Think about the question of if the gospel tells us who we are. Well, some false, false gospels will tell us that we're not created by God, but we're simply products of chance. You know, that we're the result of some atoms, atoms colliding together for maybe billions of years that kind of we won the, the lottery of, you know, the primordial soup and we're just here by happenstance. And so therefore, we don't have a lot of meaning besides the meaning that we manufacture for ourselves. You know, even regardless of how we got here, if we don't want to look into that, some would say our meaning and purpose is just simply defined by what we want it to be. You know, maybe it's defined by what we want to accomplish in life and the legacy that we leave. You know, our gospel tells us uh, what's wrong with us in the world. Some false gospels would say, tell, tell us that the ultimate thing wrong with the world is simply power being abused by different groups. Uh, maybe people being too selfish and abusing each other and abusing the world. Now, those are roots of sin. Those are products of sin, but that's not the ultimate thing wrong with the world. Uh, other false gospels will tell us salvation isn't found in Christ, but maybe salvation is simply found in, you know, advancement in society. You know, technology will take us to this utopian idea of the future where we get rid of all our problems and we just kind of arrive in this utopia. Other false gospels will tell us that the real definition of salvation would be to, to break free of anyone's you know, expectations for us, you know, just to, fr- to find freedom and just kind of be true to ourselves. But that's, that's real salvation is, is found in being true to who you are and who you want to be and breaking free of, you know, any, um, anyone else's standards and rules. And even our purpose in the world. You know, if we th- think about our purpose in terms of a false gospel standard, if we're just kind of here by happenstance through Adam's client together, and the truth is we don't have any real purpose in the world. If we're just products of chance, then there's, there's no real reason for us to be here besides we're here. And so even just like human rights is kind of a big question. It's like if we're all just here by accident, if we're not made in God's image and has some kind of divine stamp on us, then why do human rights matter? Um, but even if you think about the way that most of our society today, or not most of it, but a lot of our culture is just freaking out right now about the world. If you look at the news, like much of the news is like this place is just, the, the world is in chaos and disaster. Everything's burning, like everything's blowing up. And we've got lots of issues in the world. I won't deny that. But the truth is that if we don't listen to the truth of the, the true gospel of Christ, then false gospels will creep in and tell us that really this world is heading toward absolute destruction. And that we're just heading toward more and more chaos. Things are just getting worse and worse. And that there's no hope unless we kind of take up arms and, and save the world ourselves. 
you know, which hasn't ever really tended to go well in society when, when we separate ourselves from God's plan for us. And so we even wonder why like depression and suicide rates are so high sometimes in, in our, in our generations and culture. When we begin to like even separate, you know, ourselves from the truth of what God tells us, about, tells us about creation and society. And we just say that we're just kind of here by happenstance. We're just here to make our own meaning. Then we wonder why we sometimes we feel empty and lost and, and depression begins to rise in ways like that. So we got to recognize there's lots of different false gospels. But the Christian gospel tells us the polar opposite of all of these things. The Christian gospel tells us, who are we? That we're created by God in his image. That we belong to him uh, and that we find our deepest satisfaction in knowing and obeying him. The Christian gospel tells us what's wrong with the world. It says that our own rebellion against God is what's wrong with the world. It's broken the world and separated us from God. Uh, The Christian gospel tells us where we find salvation. It's not found on our own. We can't pull ourselves up by our own, our own bootstraps, but with that we're broken and dead in our sin. But we can find uh, salvation in Christ and how God has pursued us in Jesus to bring us back to him, to bring us new life. And then purpose in life and the world, where the world's headed. That the Christian gospel tells us that once we know God in Christ, our purpose is to simply know him and make him known in the world. To love God and love people. And that we can rest knowing that this world is not spinning out of control. It's not headed toward more and more chaos. That God, while he's allowing brokenness to exist and reign in the world right now, not reign, but to exist in the world, that he is moving history toward a definite end and he is going to really eradicate evil and sin and suffering when Christ returns. He's moving the world to a good conclusion uh, for those in Christ. And he's, he's got his hands on the world. He's not letting it kind of spin into disarray. And chaos. So the gospel tells us all these things that are good news. Yeah, there's bad news in there that we'll talk about, but there's good news. And the truth of it is really this, and we'll begin to wrap up in a second to move to our second part. But the truth of the gospel is this, is that in the gospel, we are fully known and we are fully loved. That we don't have to pretend, we don't have to perform, but we're fully known and fully loved. Because really, the default of our hearts is really to act like we don't need God. The default of our hearts is to rebel. Maybe not necessarily in a prodigal son, live all wild and crazy all the time way. That's one way to rebel. But for many people, the default is to simply act like we don't need God and and to live apart from him. It's more self-righteousness than anything. You know, we act like we're good enough on our own. You know, we pretend we don't need God or we think we can perform enough and be good enough and do enough good things or not do enough bad things to earn God's love, to earn his favor. And really, pretending is the default of our culture. You think about it, our culture is full of pretending. Like Instagram is you just pretending to be way more cool than you are, right? You know, uh, dating is you pretending to be a way cooler, way better person than you are, and then like trap them in this marriage relationship where they really learn how terrible you are, all right? Um, and, you know, <laughs> real talk, right? No. Think about college. College is you pretending you actually have learned the material you're taking the test on. Like you learn it for like an hour and you forget it an hour later and you move on. Even your resume is you pretending to be like way more qualified than you are. And you go to the interview and you show your resume and you're like, yeah, I, was in, I went to that club meeting like one time, but it's on my resume saying I was a member or like an officer. You know, there's so much pretending in our society, if we're honest. And it, we're full of all these different ways to pretend and perform in that different way. But the gospel shows us that in all the pretending we do in society, that we don't have to pretend with God, and we can't pretend with God. Right? We, we just can't. He knows us, but yet he knows us completely in our brokenness and in our sin, but yet we're fully loved. We're fully known and we're fully loved. And so the gospel means that there is a God who loves you and he wants you. He, he's pursued you. He wants to have a relationship with you, and he has a purpose and a plan for your life. And so when it comes to evangelism then, 
sharing this good news of the gospel, I think sometimes we make it way more complicated than it has to be. Um, and in church, many times we make it a lot more complicated. And we have different bad definitions of evangelism and, and what it is. You know, we think evangelism involves like trying to convince someone or pressure them into becoming a Christian. You know, like back when I was in youth group many moons ago, we had this, you know, funny skit we would do because skits were a thing there at the time. Uh, in your youth group, any of y'all's youth groups do skits? Okay, so skits still live on somewhere in the church. Okay, so we did skits and we had this one we called terrorism evangelism, um, which... That was pre-9-11, so we probably would not use that word anymore. Um, but uh, basically, it was this skit where you would, like, body slam people and then put them in a chokehold and, and, like, convince them to pray the sinner's prayer. You know, and we would, like, it was really 90s youth group goofiness. And, um, but that was, like, we, this kind of caricature of, like, evangelism is, like, pressuring somebody into becoming a Christian, right? That's, that's not what, obviously, it's not wrestling. But it's also not this, like, pressure or sales pitch, Right, you probably thought that before, like evangelism is like me kind of convincing them, like selling them like a, like a car salesman. It's not evangelism. We don't save anyone, first off. It's not in our power, not in our own cleverness, not in our ability to use a certain tool or whatever. It's only in God's power to save. So that's not evangelism. Um, we sometimes think that evangelism is like just living a good life in front of people, just being a good person. We wrongly quote St. Um, Francis and say, you know, share the gospel always when necessary, use words, which he, he never said that, by the way. And also that's, that's not true. Like sharing the gospel, it's a message. We'll see very clearly tonight, the gospel is a message that has to use words because it's like information. <laughs> so you try to share information with somebody without using words. It becomes, you know, like a, what is that? A charades? Don't charade the gospel. That never works. Okay. Don't do that. It's, the gospel has to use, has to involve words. We think the gospel uh, or evangelism is sometimes that just the job of like people like me, like the, the full-time pastors, you know, or the, uh, the full-time ministers, or, or maybe people who have the gifts of evangelism, right? But the thing is, first off, Ephesians 4 would say people like me, my job is to equip you to do the work of ministry. So we're all in ministry together. We're all on mission together. We're all called to be witnesses. But even if you talk about the gift of evangelism, however you want to define that, the Bible also talks about the gift of service. But it doesn't say that just if you don't have the gift of service, you just don't serve in the church. You know, so if you have the gift or not, does it make you exempt from sharing? So you may not feel like the most gifted and most confident evangelist. Well, you can grow in that, number one. But we're all called to die to ourselves. And part of dying to ourselves involves sharing the gospel and uh, being an evangelist in that way. So um, that's a challenge even for me. But here's two really good definitions I like of evangelism. You can write it down if you want to. You really can just listen to it, but they're really helpful. Uh, but I like these. Uh, Bill Bright, the founder of Crew, he said this. He said that evangelism is taking the initiative to share Christ in the power of the Spirit and leaving the results to God. It's taking the initiative to share Christ in the power of the Spirit and leaving the results to God. I like that because, you know, it, we're, we're taking the initiative. It requires intentionality, right? It's not a passive thing. Or we're taking initiative in it. And we're sharing Christ, we're sharing the message of the gospel, which we'll unpack in depth in a second. Um, in the power of the Spirit, re- recognizing that we can't do this on our own, we can't save anybody, I can't convince or body slam someone into becoming a Christian, right? It's only in the power of the Spirit. And then leaving the results to God. So many times we get caught up in thinking the, you know, the definition of being good at living on mission, of sharing the gospel, is like fruitfulness. Like, okay, if I talk to my roommate about the gospel and he never like becomes a Christian, then I failed at evangelism. Like, or I had a really awkward lunch with my friend one time and I talked about Jesus and it was like, it just tanked. And we just, you know, ended up talking about, you know, football 10 minutes later because I was trying to get away from the awkwardness of that conversation. I feel like I failed. And that's not true at all. 
Because really, the definition of success in evangelism is not fruitfulness in terms of every time I share the gospel, like 15 people just like repent and believe. The definition of success in evangelism is faithfulness. It's being a witness. It's just talking about Christ. It's just sharing what God has done in your life. It's faithfulness. Because you can't save anybody anyway. You can be the best, most gifted evangelist in the world, and unless the Spirit moves and works, you're just going to be saying words, right? Now, we want to be equipped just to share a good, clear message, but in the end, it's in the power of the Spirit, right? I may be getting all over Noah's topic that he's doing in a couple of weeks, okay? But I um, just wanted to share that. But I love this other quote, and then we'll get um, into the next part, that D.T. Niles said it this way, evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread, I love that. It's one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. We're not coming in in condescension or arrogance. We're just simply telling them where we found hope, where we found life and forgiveness. Because the truth is, everybody really is a good evangelist in the end. We're all good evangelists because none of us are bad at sharing good news. Like when I found out that me and Haley were having a baby, it was not a problem at all for me to get excited and tell people that we were having a baby. Like I loved telling people the good news of us having a kid. Because it's good news. We were excited about it, right? And we're still excited about it. And when he's born, our Instagram will be nothing but Jude. I'm sorry. I'll, I don't apologize for that, okay? But um, we're excited about it. So we're, and really, we're all that way. We're all really good at sharing things that we're excited about. We're good at sharing things we think are good news. And so the issue in our sharing of the gospel many times is not even the content, because many of us know it, but it's really seeing the gospel as good news again and seeing it as the life changing, transforming power that it is and the need for us to share it, okay? But for tonight, we do want to talk about how do we share the gospel? So that was the first part. What is the gospel? Why is it good news? But tonight, I want to talk about how do we share the gospel? So on your paper is a drawing. You may have seen this before. You may know exactly where we're going. Um, if, if so, awesome. Uh, if not, this is just a tool um, that the North American Mission Board has come up with. It's called Three Circles. It's just a way to share the gospel. It's one of my favorite ways to share because it's, it's easy to reproduce. Um, I think it covers a lot of ground and, and really fills in some of the holes that some gospel presentations um, don't talk about. And so what I wanted to do is we're going to walk through this tonight, and I want to kind of give this to you as a, um, as a resource, as a way to share. Here's the thing about tools, though, with sharing the gospel. It's just a tool. Okay, this is not like you have to sit your roommate down tonight and be like, all right, listen, you have to sit here for 15 minutes and let me just like present this to you. Like I'm going to write on a whiteboard in our dorm room, you know, we're going to go to the study room and I'm going to, you could do that. That could be cool, you know, but this is not like a pitch you have to completely memorize and like give it flawlessly, that thing, that kind of thing. But it is a tool that we want to give you as a way to clearly think through the gospel. Because in the moment like that, it comes up maybe in conversation, it's easy to freeze and be like, well, uh, the gospel is okay. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then um, there was like Leviticus and the guy, you know, you get, you get up on like re- weird tangents of like, what are you talking about, man? Like, and you're like, what? I've been there, right? And so when it comes time to share the gospel, it's good to have like a tool and a way that you've thought through it. And honestly, like it's really helpful to even like take a napkin if you're hanging out, getting coffee or lunch and draw the circles and talk through it. It's a great tool. It's a visual. Okay. So um, we're going to give this to you. Um, as a resource tonight, there's lots of stuff online about it. If you want to Google it in the future, there's so, ma- so many videos of people going through this. And so there's other options. But I want to talk through it uh, for us tonight. And we're going to have the circle stuff on the screen. And we're going to kind of fill it in as we go. My fabulous wife is running the slides, taking care of everything. So she's going to have us up to speed. <laughs> Haley. All right. So let's talk about three circles. How do we share the gospel? All right. What is the gospel message? Okay. Circle one on the top left there, you want to put God's design in there. Okay. 
And so as you're talking to somebody and you get to the topic of, okay, well, can I just share with you what I believe? Can I share with you what uh, Christians believe, what we call the gospel, the good news? You can, however you get to it, you know, if you mind if I share that with you. Well, cool. So you draw your circles, you start with God's design. Okay, here's the thing. I'm going to give you a scripture reference for each one of these. You don't have to use that when sharing, but if you want a verse to read, some people like that, they have, like to have their Bible and, and read a verse and kind of go along with it. I'm going to give you one for each. Um, but if you, for me, I'm more of like a conversational kind of telling the story guy. Like I, I'll mention scripture, but I won't necessarily read it. But that's, if you want to do that, that's awesome. Okay, um, you do you. That works. But let me give you one scripture reference for God's design if you want it. It's Genesis 1, 26 through 31. Genesis 1, 26 to 31. I'm just going to read 26, 27, and 31. I'm going to skip some of the stuff in the middle there. Not that it's not important. But it says this. It's the thing God said. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Go down to verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So things about God's design, really important things to know, is this, that there is a God, and that he is eternal, he's holy, righteous, loving, good, all of these things, and he's all-powerful. And that God has created everything in in the universe, everything in creation, which therefore gives him authority over creation, right? and authority to say the way he wants it to you know, exist and the way he's designed it. And he, as we see in Genesis, he created the world and he called it good, right? The world is not an um, inherently evil and broken place like some mythology where the world is born out of blood and goriness and lust, but no, the world is a good place. He called the world good. It was perfect and beautiful and is a place where creation was, worked, um, was designed to work a certain way, a certain way that he called good and perfect. And Wonderfully enough, God created human beings in his image, and he created us to bring him glory. So really that we've been created, humanity, to have a relationship with God. He has a beautiful purpose for us in the world, to know him, to have a relationship with him, and to glorify him, to honor him, to live according to his design, to live according to his guidance. That's his design for us. That's what he desires for every person, is to have a relationship in that way. But the problem is this. So if we go to our next slide here, on that little arrow, the problem is sin. The problem is sin. And if you want a reference for this, a classic is Romans 3.23, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All right, but what is sin though? What, what is sin? It's, it's a very biblical word. Well, really sin can mean a lot of things, but the inherent heart of sin is to rebel against God. To look at God and say, you know what God, like I think I'm good on my own. I know you have this certain design for my life in a certain way that you, you want me to live in the world, but I think I'm good. I'm going I'm to do my own thing. I'm going to reject that and go a different way. That's what Adam and Eve did. They were tempted by the serpent, and they said, you know what, God? You know, I think you're holding out on me. You know, did God really say you know, that you shouldn't eat from the tr- fruit of the tree? But no, I'm going to go my own way. That's what sin is. And so we chose to rebel against God and reject his authority. And so the truth of sin, though, is this, is that we're both sinners in action and we're sinners in nature. Like, we do sin, we commit sin, but also inherently in our hearts, we're sinful people, right? We're broken even in our hearts and in our core. Sins aren't just mistakes, they're rejection of God's authority in our life. And since God is what we've already said, he's holy, he's perfect, he can't tolerate sin because it's rebellion against him. And because our rebellion is rebellion against God, against the king, then really the right punishment is death, right? 
If you rebel against the king, if you commit treason, your punishment is death. And so then our punishment then for our sin is separation from God. It's spiritual death and it's punishment in hell unless something changes for all of eternity. And that's the bad news of the gospel, but it's got to be bad news to get to the good news. But there's one more part to this. So circle two, because of our sin, here's what's happened. There's brokenness in the world. There's brokenness in the world. And here's like a pro tip, by the way. You may have conversations sometimes where brokenness in the world comes up first. You're talking about, you know, the news or something, you know, the, the, the coronavirus spreading all around the world. Everybody's freaking out about that. Like, you may have brokenness come up in conversation. Sometimes in this three circles thing, you can actually start with brokenness and then work your way to God's design and then go from there. So, so you can even start with brokenness sometimes. But because of sin, the world is broken. All right? The world is broken. Uh, here's a verse for you with this one. Romans 1.25. It says, because they, we, human beings, we exchange, we exchange the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And that's what's happened in the world. That sin leads to brokenness both in us, to where we want to worship creation, but also it's led to brokenness in the world around us. You know, because in us we struggle with things like um, emptiness, hopelessness, guilt, shame, all these things are, are because of our separation from God, the brokenness of us because of sin. But even in the world, we have all kinds of jacked up things. You can look at the news. It's really easy to see. We have war. We have injustice. We have oppression. We have starvation. All right? We have disease. You know, we have all kinds of things that are against God's design for his good creation. Even the world itself is broken. It's fractured under sin. All right? The world is literally broken. And because of that, and you already see it on the screen, we want to find a way out of this brokenness. And by the way, those are all things I just put those on there. You can fill in the blank with what you want for these. But here's the thing. We all want out of the brokenness of the world. And so what do we do? We look to different things to, to make us whole. We look to all kinds of things to make us whole. And I just mentioned four that I think are common. We look to relationships to make us whole, to bring us satisfaction. We look to success, thinking if I'm successful enough, it'll bring me wholeness and healing. We look to pleasure. Let me get away from the brokenness of the world. Let me, you know, kind of medicate myself. You know, let me withdraw. So we look to pleasure. And we look to comfort. If I can just kind of build up enough safety and security around me, then I, then I won't have to deal with the brokenness in the world and in myself. We look to all these kind of things to try to, to fix this issue, to fix the brokenness. But none of it's enough. It's never enough. We always come back broken. But circle on the bottom, circle three is this. It's the gospel. It's the, the good news of the gospel, that the gospel is the answer to our brokenness. If you want a scripture reference, it's Romans 5, 6 through 8. Um, it's a good one here. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this is the good news of the gospel. It's the good news that we're looking for. It's the solution to the brokenness of our sin. Or the brokenness due to our sin. And so because of his love and out of love, God sent his son Christ, God in human form, to come to earth to deal with our brokenness. That he came, he lived the perfect life we could never live in our place. He died on a cross for our sin, that on the cross, Jesus absorbed our sin. He was taking on the punishment for our sin in our place. And then three days later, he rose from the dead. And the resurrection wasn't just like a, you know, kind of power-up thing that God did just to kind of show he could. The, the resurrection was Jesus showing that the, the penalty had been paid, that the, it was like a receipt of the payment that Christ had made 
on the cross. And it was also to show God's power now over sin and over death. That he holds the keys to hell and that our brokenness can be restored. So we can be forgiven by God. We can be saved from our brokenness. We can be saved from sin and hell and receive new life in God because of the gospel, because of what Christ has done. But here's the question. That's all good news. That's that's really good information that's happened, right? But how do I receive it? How do I know I can have this new life? How can I respond to the gospel? That's what our little arrow between brokenness and the gospel is. How do we get from our brokenness to the gospel? We repent and believe. We repent and we believe. If you want a scripture reference for it, it's Mark 1, 14 and 15. Mark 1, 14 and 15. It says this, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. The first words of Christ to Mark are this. He says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. So how do we respond to the gospel? You know, what do we do to receive this new life? Well, Jesus tells us, we repent and we believe. That's the biblical response to the gospel. What do those words mean? Those are really churchy words that we don't use a lot in normal conversation. Well, repent. What is repentance? Repentance really just means to have a change of heart. That's all it really means, to have a change of heart. It's to recognize the ugliness of your sin, that your sin is something that you've chosen to do, you've chose to rebel against God, that it's an act of treason against God. That you see the ugliness of your sin. You don't make excuses. You don't pretend that it's not real. You don't perform and try to say, I can be good enough for God. But that you own your sin and you say, God, I want to be done with this. I'm turning away from this. I'm turning toward you. I'm turning away from sin. I'm turning to God. It's to have a change of heart about our sin. And then what does it mean to believe? Well, to believe is a lot more than agreeing the gospel is true. Because our society is full of people who would maybe say, I've made mental assent to the gospel being true, but really don't believe the gospel. All right? To believe the gospel is much more than believing it's true. It's to put all of your trust in what Jesus has done to save you. And to not put any trust in your own goodness and your own ability to save you. Uh, one analogy I, I use a lot that I think is helpful is think about uh, a parachute. Uh, any engineers in the room can probably do the calculations on designing a parachute, like, um, like a, you know, when you put in a backpack to jump out and do skydiving, right? You can do the calculations to know how big it should be, what material it should be made of. You can do the calculations, and you can say on paper, yeah, I believe that this parachute will save my life if I jump out of a plane, right? But it's way different to then take that parachute and then jump out of the plane, right? Way different thing. One thing to believe it on paper and say, yeah, the numbers work out, but a whole different thing to put your life in the hands of the parachute, right? And that's the kind of belief that we do when we believe in Christ and the gospel, right? It's not a belief like kind of mentally, yeah, I believe he died for my sin, I believe it's true. No, it's I put my whole life, I put my eternity in his hands because I believe he is trustworthy and he paid the penalty for it. And if we repent and believe in the gospel, then God promises that we will be made new. We can be forgiven of our sins. And we can have absolute confidence of eternal life with him. And eternal life isn't something that happens in the future. It begins now and it goes into eternity. But there's one more thing here. Because in our circle, you know, we have the gospel. But also, going back to God's design, we can now, once we respond to the gospel, once we repent and believe, we can then recover and pursue God's design. That's our last part here. If you want a scripture reference, I'll give you uh, Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So here's the thing. So once we believe, what do we do? We just kind of sit around and wait for heaven? 
Is, is that the point of the Christian life is to sit around? No, not at all. What's our life about now? Well, once we've been made right with God, we begin to discover, begin to discover that really everything changes once we look at the way God has designed the world, how he wants us to live. And now everything in life, even the most mundane, can have incredible significance because of God's presence in our life. But when you begin to take the Bible and look at every bit of your life and ask how God wants you to live, it will change everything. Once we believe in Jesus, we even receive the Holy Spirit that we're empowered by him to live according to his design. Does it mean we're going to be perfect? You know, the beginning of the Christian life, does it mean you're going to be perfect? Does it mean life's going to be any easier? Really, we'll probably be harder, right? But in that, um, once we respond to the gospel, the good news means that his love for us is not based on our performance. It's not based on, you know, how well we are, are doing that one day, how well we've done that week or, or month. Is it me, is it not, it's not based on how much we've read our Bible recently. God's love for us is based on Christ's work. It's based on what he's done for us. And so our security, our hope, our foundation is in him. And so as we pursue God's design, we can have full confidence of his love for us. But also, like we said, we can have full confidence of his work in the world, where he's taking the world. That the world is not kind of spinning just out of control. That God in his sovereignty is overseeing everything. Even the brokenness that's happening right now. He's moving the world toward a good end. He's going to one day when Christ returns eradicate evil, suffering, everything. There will be no more tears. But there will be a new creation where it's been brought back to the way God initially designed it. His original design. Only really better. It's like Eden but better. And that's the end goal of the world. That's where God is taking history. So we can have full hope um, in that. We can really like we've been talking about, live on mission and work with him on his mission in bringing the world back to his original design, specifically by talking about and sharing the good news and asking people to respond. So that's your, your chart. That's, that's a way, a tool to share the gospel. Like I said, you will explain some of this stuff in different ways than I do, and that's okay. You'll probably use way less words, probably. Um, but uh, that's the thing. This is a, a tool to kind of help you think through what are the main points I want to talk about in the gospel. So I hope that's helpful for you. But as we close, what we want to do is this. Is number one, first off, if this is new for you, if you've never clearly heard the gospel, or maybe you've realized tonight, like, man, like, I don't think I really have believed in Jesus. Like, I've never, like, maybe thought through the gospel clearly. I would love to talk to you more about this. I'd love to tell you more about what it means to follow Jesus, and we can chat more uh, about what it means to believe the gospel. Come, come catch me anytime before you leave tonight. I'd love to talk to you about that. Uh, but even for you, if you're a, a Christian here and you've already responded to the gospel, I want to ask you, like, you know, if someone kind of approached you tonight on the way home, you know, you go, you're walking back into your dorm or apartment and someone stops you and is like, man, I just, I'm hopeless. I need some good news, like, to, to, to like, change my life. My life is just so broken. What do I do? You're like, oh, my gosh, like, this is what God was talking about. What, what do I say? You know, would you be able to share this, you know? Do you feel equipped to do that? Um, and also, honestly, in your own life, who can you share this with this week? Who can you share this with this month? And so really the next couple of weeks in our series are going to be walking us toward more practical ways of how do we even kind of find ways to share the gospel, have those conversations, things like that. And so I'm looking forward to like next week, Colby's going to talk about developing a missional strategy, thinking through your life strategically. Week after that, Noah will talk about having missional conversations, how to have natural conversations about the gospel. So we're going to keep equipping you in this way so we're not done with this conversation. But for tonight, we wanted to focus specifically on the message and what is the content of the gospel. All right, so here's the deal. We're going to wrap up with is this. You notice there's no questions on your, um, your sheet there. You probably know where I'm going. What I want you to do is this. At your table, instead of discussing as a table, I want you to pair up at your table as, as much as possible. You may have to share some people. But pair up at your table, and I want each of you to walk through the three circles and to share the gospel with, with each other. 
Okay, you don't have to be wait nearly as long as I was, okay? Um, but just kind of briefly, I want you to walk through the three circles and share it with each other. And then when you're done, just for a brief moment, kind of you know, give them some feedback. Don't be like, man, that was terrible. I think you just preached me the gospel of Islam, I think. It wasn't Christianity. Don't do that, okay? You know, like, um, but, but it gives them some constructive feedback, maybe kind of help them think through that um, any way you can. And I know some of this is just kind of getting the nervousness out of it and kind of getting into a, a, a rhythm. So take a few minutes and pair up. Both of you share, give some feedback, and then um, I'll come back up and, uh, and send you out for tonight. But I want to pray for you really quickly, and then you guys can, uh, can chat. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you, Lord, that you have pursued us in our brokenness and our sin, and you have made the way for us to be reunited with you, to receive new life in your name, and that your love is, it is ridiculous, Lord. It is uncomparable unimaginable and we're so thankful for it. So I pray tonight you would help us to maybe remember again the good news of the gospel. To remember how it really is good news. Maybe for many of us, uh, we need to think back to when we first believed the gospel. Even if we were young, maybe for some people it was last year, but to go back and think about how the good news of the gospel changed their life and what, what it was like to first um, believe in Christ and experience the peace and life change and transformation. And, and let that compel us to want to share and let others experience the same. I pray that you would guide our uh, time of sharing and kind of practicing a little bit. I pray that it would be um, a good equipping time and be helpful. I pray that you'd help us to, um, although it is practice, to view this as a way to even be better equipped to be good witnesses for you. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.